0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys. And on this week's episode, we are still talking about your number one overall pick having Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about the Olympic men's basketball disappointment, the NBA finals, and then we answer your questions about the uh, 2021 NBA draft. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, You have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this offseason. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Welcome to this week's episode of the detroit bad boys podcast i am your host lazarus jackson pleased as always to be joined by my usual co-host ben gulker what's up ben
1: laz i'm doing good my friend it's good to be back the week is here we're ready for the number one pick in the draft i'm, I'm really excited how are you doing
0: i'm doing really well it is very exciting to finally have this week uh be upon us um I want to go back a little bit though. Did you watch the finals?
1: Oh man, the finals were a lot of fun this year. I had a blast watching them. How about you?
0: I, I loved almost every minute of it. Just uh, having the last like three games all come down to the wire. Yeah, it's like that. That's what basketball is all about. Yeah,
1: those first two games. Well, even I guess really the first three weren't super interesting, but mm. after that, it was it was just a blast and. I mean Phoenix and Milwaukee, those were kind of the two teams I was pulling for when the playoffs started. And uh yeah, it was fun. I got I got what I wanted in the finals for the first time ever, maybe. Yeah. So pretty exciting.
0: I think after the playoffs too, it was definitely like a sense as like, oh, you know, Milwaukee's like a really good team and Phoenix is a really good team, but like the with the, with the number one pick, it's not impossible that like the Pistons could be like up in this atmosphere. Right. Like Phoenix has had a really good playoff run. But like the with with the passing of the old guard a little bit mm-hmm. uh, is definitely like a, t- a time for a team like the Pistons who are up on a rise to make some noise in the not too distant in the future. So that was really what I was excited about. Yeah. Plus. And
1: small market teams can get there. Right. And they right. can engage the whole country. The ratings were were up from a year ago and you had, you know, two small town, smallish town teams playing so i think that's exciting for the league as a whole too and the fan base clearly was hungry for it
0: oh for sure for sure it was uh it was amazing to see some of those uh those crowds that they were able to build outside in the uh, deer district for uh for the the finals games i'll be very curious to see uh if the pistons try and emulate something like this the next time like they they make the playoffs i think that'll be really interesting to see so especially with the the new location of like where LCA is, it'd be, I don't know exactly like where they put where they would put a district like that, but it'd be, it'd be cool to see them try to do something like that.
1: Yeah. And even if not a district, you can certainly envision that whole town, downtown area just getting flooded with people, which is pretty exciting.
0: Yeah. Just like take over the front part of Comerica Park. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Ben, Uh, enough about the finals, but not enough about our Pistons. Uh, We put out the call for a mailbag, so people send in their questions, obviously, the week of the draft. We really appreciate everybody who uh, submitted questions. Thank you very much. Our first question comes from at Pistons fanalist. Who do you think the Pistons should target with their three second round picks? Been you got any names for the second round?
1: Uh, well, I don't have any real specific names, and that's honestly, Laz, because I've been spending so much time watching Cade highlights that I seriously have hardly focused on the second round at all. We might talk about this a little later, but I'm particularly interested to see if we will, will try to move up with those second rounders into the late first round somewhere. Um, so I don't, have, I don't have any specific names. But uh, I think shooting and athleticism would be the things I'd be looking for.
0: No, ab- absolutely. Um, to that end, I have a couple names. I've been I've been saying for a while now I think the Pistons need a jumpy-jump guy. I think Jericho Sims could be that jumpy-jump guy. Uh, they need a really good standstill catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. There are a bunch of dudes like that in this draft. There's uh, Joe Weiskamp out of Iowa isaiah livers obviously you are familiar with the work of isaiah livers ben i am and mitch ballock a four-year player from creighton who can really shoot the ball and then uh you know they got a third second round pick that's kind of a grab bag right you can get a guy like isaiah todd you get a guy like bones highland who a lot of people really (laughs) like but i think will be selected before the pistons first second round pick you look at a a dayron sharp right another kind of groundbound, bound, uh, really intelligent, uh, big man. I would like to see him in a workout though, because he he needed to lose a little bit of weight, and it looked like he had lost a little bit of weight of the pre-draft process. But I'd still want to put him like through the paces. And then you'd have like a guy like a, a BJ Boston, right? Who a guy who was uh, billed as a top five prospect in uh, college, really struggled in um, his one year at Kentucky. And that's a, a guy worth, I think, taking the swing on uh, if in the second round. Yeah, those are just a couple names, but like like you, Ben, I've mostly been watching Kate highlights this entire time.
1: I mean, why not, right? Like, it's the the one year you feel like you know for sure who we're gonna get, and he's also happens to be the best prospect. So yeah, kind of all consuming from that
0: perspective. And it's like fun. It's fun to yep. watch Kate. He's a fun it player. Is. Yeah. All right, Ben. Uh, next question from Pistons fanalist: uh, If you could add one reasonably attainable vet to this team, who would you add? So
1: before looking at free agency, I think it's important to remember the Pistons have three of their own. They kind of got to figure out, right? So you've got Diallo Jackson and, and Lee, right? You've got three free agents you have to kind of make a decision about. Um, and then you look at their roster, like you look at the draft picks that they have incoming and their current salaries they're committed to. I mean, I don't know if there's even a whole lot of room to be thinking about free agency too much. Um, so, you know, honestly, I wouldn't be upset if they don't make any significant moves in free agency, you know, make a decision about, uh, I think Diallo and Jackson, those are the two guys who I think potentially could stand and make a little bit of money this summer. Um, and I, I think if you did that and you added two or three guys in the draft, you're staying really young, you're staying super flexible in terms of your financial commitments and I think I would be completely okay with that. You look at what Weaver did last offseason. He sort of piecemealed together some placeholders to give them some perimeter shooting. Um, I, honestly, I think I'd be okay if they sort of just were patient and, and didn't do too much in free agency at all and just focused on bringing back a couple young guys and adding via the draft.
0: I, I think there's room for like some vet experience. right? You only want one. Probably, but um, you probably want one like good locker room player, especially as you try to uh, develop all these young guys simultaneously. Uh, to that end, I was thinking somebody like somebody like Ish Smith, right? Like the return of Ish Smith, just uh, a really good communicator, somebody that uh, the team and like front office is familiar with. Um, somebody who can still play a little bit, still capable as a like secondary or tertiary point guard but also just like uh, immaculate vibes out of ish smith just a great guy great character person somebody i think that you would you would love to have like in the locker room with the young dudes as they try and learn how to be nba players um to that end i also think about a guy like jared dudley um he doesn't play point guard he's more of like a forward slash uh, big now at this stage in his career and he kind of seems like he's in a ring chasing mode. But if you were interested in doing the uh, old head locker room vet thing, uh, I think you could you could do worse than a guy like Jared Dudley. And both of those guys become cheap, right? Like I'm not necessarily worried about uh, penny pinching or, or cap space or anything like that this offseason. But uh, it would be nice to just like have one of those guys in at a at a veterans minimum.
1: I tell you, I appreciated this question because I hadn't spent too much time thinking about free agency. And when I dug into the free agency list. There's not a whole lot oh, of yeah, interesting stuff happening after you get out of the big names, right? Like, there's just not
0: not a lot out there this year. Yeah, it is, it is an excellent year to have $29 million worth of dead money on your salary <laughs> cap. <tub>. Right. <laughs> All right, Ben. Our next question comes from at Discomfort underscore. Weird Twitter handle, but, you know, who am I to judge? Uh, what's the most realistic, what's the most likely starting five for the Pistons at the start of the season? And what's your realistic dream starting five for the Pistons at the start of the season? So two questions, but related.
1: Yeah, so honestly, for me, I'm not sure there's a difference between the two. Um, you know, I'd roll out with Killian Cade, Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, and Isaiah Stewart. However, having said that, we do know that Dwayne Casey likes to bring youth along slowly. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Mason Plumlee still starting. That wouldn't surprise me. And then I wouldn't be surprised, especially if Cade and Killian don't necessarily mesh well together right away. Uh, if he looks at staggering those two, I think probably in that scenario, you'd see Killian with the second unit uh, like he was when he came back from injury. So, I, I mean, I kind of think, you know, if, if I'm coaching, I roll out the young guys and see what happens. But, you know, Coach Casey has a, has a great track record and it brings guys a little along, brings guys along a little more slowly. So to me, Plumley would be, you know, the obvious sub there for Stewart.
0: Yeah, I was tr- I was trying to find this quote for the uh, Killian exit interview, but uh, that I wrote for Detroit Bad Boys. It's not up yet, but you'll see it soon enough. Don't worry. Um, I was trying to find the part where the post game where Dwayne Casey kind of uh, mentioned that he felt like maybe, you know, throwing Killian into the fire right away wasn't the best idea for his development. Um and because of like what the starting lineup was at the time, like no, you know, no Sadiq in the starting lineup at that time, no uh, Isaiah Stewart at the starting lineup at that time. So it's just like him as the lone young guy out there with uh, with most of the vets and how that wasn't maybe the, the best uh, situation for him to be developed. in. I could see something similar with uh with Cade, maybe. I mean, like I, I think Cade is pro ready. Cade probably thinks Cade is pro ready. But you know, I could I could see a see a, a situation in which they uh, trust Cade, but don't necessarily think of him as the point guard point guard right away. So you could definitely see um, lineups where where Cade is like playing shooting guard instead of point guard, and then you're starting uh, a Corey Joseph or a Killian Hayes or something like that. I would I think the most realistic lineup is the one with Plumlee in the lineup just to get a little bit more of a balance between the young guys and the vets um but i do think that like isaiah stewart is starting for this team sooner rather than later and of course my like dream pistons lineup is like lebron james anthony Davis, <laughs> steph curry dame willard and like insert and like jason tatum right but, like, well then they're guy. gonna lose to france though that's problem.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly oh man i watched I watched, like, the first half of that game, and then we had, uh, like, labor and delivery class. And I was like, oh, that's fine. They'll beat France. And then, like, <laughs> I look at my phone, and I was like, they they did not beat France. No, they could not put the ball in the basket. <laughs> not going not gonna to watch that one on the DVR. All right, the uh, next question is from Bryce Simon at Motor City Hoops. Shout out to Bryce. He did an amazing job with the video breakdowns of each piston for our exit interview series over at Detroit bad boys, follow Bryce on Twitter. Uh, Excellent follow. Uh, Really appreciative of like the work he's done for us. Um, But his question, Ben was what player makes the biggest jump in production from last season to this season.
1: For me, this is Killian Hayes. And as much as anything, this has to do with how disappointing his rookie season was on the whole. We saw some nice moments down the stretch after he came back from injury and that, obviously gave a lot of us a whole lot of hope. So, I mean, look, if he shoots 35% from the field and cuts his turnover rate down by a third, something like that, like that's going to be a pretty significant leap for him. And again, a lot of it has to do with the fact that that baseline comparison is pretty low. Honorable mention, though, to Isaiah Stewart, um, look, if he improves this summer as much as he did over the course of his rookie season, Like this kid could be a double-double machine who is also this mythical stretch five sort of guy who relishes the big man stuff and also potentially shoots the three. So I wouldn't sleep on him looking like a real impact player uh, a year from now when we're
0: breaking down the end of next season. It'd be really cool to see Isaiah Stewart averaging like 15 and 12. Just, like, very, very cool. Very surprising. Uh, I do think Killian is the obvious answer, though. Just because, like you mentioned, his... Both from, a, like, a production and a efficiency standpoint, his numbers to his, like, total numbers to end the season were so poor that uh, even meager improvements over that will reflect, like, very well on, uh, on his improvement as a player. My dark horse is Hamadou Diallo, though. And, mm. of course, Hamadou is a restricted free agent. Not necessarily... Uh, guaranteed to be a Detroit Piston, but uh, he averaged I think close to uh, between like eleven and twelve points last year. If uh, if perhaps like say he was in the starting lineup, like there's no reason to say he couldn't average like fifteen a game. And you know with with plus playmaking, with uh, not plus plus playmaking, but, but plus play, playmaking. And so like yeah, I think I think Killian and Hami are are, are two good options to answer that question. All right, Ben. The next question comes from Piston's Twitter historian, Keith Black, at charlatan28. If you could prevent the acquisition of one Piston over the last 11 years, which one would it be?
1: Man, Keith, thank you for this question. I struggled over this, right? The reason I struggled is because I guess initially I was approaching this Thinking that if you undo any single acquisition, you have a butterfly effect, right? Like whatever you do to the past changes something in our current present, right? Um,
0: and our current present is pretty good. Right,
1: so. <laughs> exactly. That's that's exactly what I was thinking. Like if any one of those acquisitions being undone changes the pistons having the number one pick right now, like I, I think I just leave everything alone. But just to, just to play, just to play the game and have some fun thinking through the, the thought experiment, Um, I'm going to go with someone who's probably not an obvious candidate. There are lots of good arguments here for, for several players. But for me, I wonder how the Stan Van Gundy experiment would have gone had they identified a different point guard other than Reggie Jackson. And it's not so much about Reggie Jackson, the player, as it is all of the time that he A, missed due to injury, or B was playing at 60, 70, 80% coming back from injury. I mean, those were some very dark times with Reggie Jackson hurt and we're pulling up, uh, you know, D and G league players, the Dwight bikes, the John Lucas, the third, et cetera, you know, the ghost of Jose Calderon, like all of that stuff was just so painful. And with the benefit of hindsight, like, I just have to wonder what, what goes differently if the Pistons have a different point guard who stays healthy Um, you know, and then they make the Blake Griffin trade, like how, how interesting would that have been? So, so that gets my pick, um, and 11 years is a long time, but that gets my pick
0: for the acquisition. I would like a, a redo at 11 years is a long time. Um, and there, there are a lot of good choices to answer this question. Uh, unfortunately or fortunately, I thought about the butterfly effect as well, Ben, I decided it was more fun to just ignore the butterfly effect. Cause like, this is all hypotheticals, right? Like none of this actually matters. So to that end, I think that one move, the move that I think was with, even like with the benefit of hindsight, kind of just like uh, eyebrow raising and head scratching at the time was the selection of Henry Ellenson in the 2016 NBA draft. Um, Ellenson was a high upside selection, Obviously they they thought they could, you know, have a long-term stretch big option next to Andre Drummond that turned out to not be the case. Apologies to Hank. He's not, you know, in the league right now, but there were, there were a lot of good NBA players who, you know, maybe wouldn't have survived a Troy Weaver purge, but would have helped that, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018 version of the Detroit Pistons. There's, you know, Karis LeVert. right? I remember a lot of a lot of Michigan people at the time were clamoring, saying like you should take the risk on uh, on Karis LeVert, and that would have proven to be a very wise risk to take. Um, Dejounte Murray, Malik Beasley, Malcolm Brogdon, Pascal Siakam. Like you know, you if you if you play the game, it's like pretty clearly Pascal Siakam. But there's no there's no reason to believe that Pascal would be who he is if outside of the Toronto development system. So, uh, yeah, that, that one's tougher, but like, even you could say the upside is worth it. Um, even, even you got like, uh, Timothy Luao who again, French helped, uh, beat the U S national team today, but, uh, just like a, a relatively solid NBA three and D wing, right? Like that guy, that guy would have been useful, uh, a right? Starter starting center on a really solid playoff team on a Western conference finals, uh, playoff team, right? Like though, those guys would have been more useful. And I think more like immediately, uh, had a more immediate impact than uh, Henry Ellenson. And I know Ellenson was a long-term pick. It's still, there's, there was other better options, uh, at that, at that selection for this team that maybe doesn't even break the, the butterfly effect, but you know, who's to say,
1: Just go to cars.com. It's magical.
0: All right, Ben. Our next question comes from uh, James Edwards III, the beat writer at The Athletic and the host of the Bun and Cardigan show. James asked kind of the opposite question. He's like, if you could bring back one Pistons player from 2010 to 2018 to be part of this team, excluding Chris and Blake, excluding Chris Middleton and Blake Griffin, who would it be? In a follow-up tweet, I clarify with james that he means uh the current version of this player not like like he, he means who this player would be today not like magically transporting the uh you know going to work ben wallace into this year's team
1: yeah so also an interesting exercise because i was forced to go back through <laughs> 11 yes. years of absolute disastrous rosters.
0: Yeah, those rosters aren't
1: pretty. Oh, my goodness. There were players I couldn't even remember because I think I had blocked them out. Like, Justin Harper, like, I, I cannot remember him playing for us. Anyway, um, also, the clarification was a bit of a bummer because I immediately went to uh, the Benissance, the the Ben Wallace returns as an old man. I think as a locker room guy, an example in practice and a mentor, like, how much would you want Ben Wallace in Isaiah Stewart's here, right? Like that would be super interesting to me. But um, yeah, so I had a few candidates that jumped out at me. I sort of narrowed in on KCP and Marcus Morris. Those guys both have developed a really consistent three point shot after leaving the Pistons. Unfortunately, uh, then you've got Kennard and Bruce and Tobias, right? Like those, so, those five guys are the kind of the, the guys that I really looked at. I think there's a pretty strong argument you can make for Marcus Morris or KCP, both of whom would fill, you know, needs that the Pistons have in terms of floor spacing and hard nose defense. Um, But look, if we're ignoring contracts and salary caps and all of those kinds of things, Tobias Harris is super interesting to me. Um, I don't know if you could play him and Jeremy Grant together for extended stretches, but if you could, that's sort of a scary three, four. And I think it also makes for a super interesting crunch time lineup when you go small, right? You throw those guys at your big positions um, and then, you know, you throw in Cade and Sadiq Bey and then whomever else you would want as a shooting guard slash point guard ball handler. So that's where I landed with Tobias Harris. But, uh, you know, shout out to guys like Duncan Smith who, who hashtag pay KCP ended up being right about the fact that he would develop a jumper.
0: I, my mind also kind of immediately went to any of the starters on those, uh, the Stanley playoff teams for the Pistons KCP, I think is, is a good first impulse because he would kind of fit seamlessly into what this Pistons team like would want to do. Uh, you, you, you would no longer be like that at that point, you're starting like Cade or Killian. Right. Mm-hmm. And it going like Cade, KCP, Sadiq, Jeremy Grant, and, and insert center here. And like that, that probably works, right? This is a good deal of spacing. Um, KCP, I think, has settled into um, being a, a role player. Um, and, you know, at the time, I think he thought he could probably be more because he's young. And, you know, what you don't want to put a cap on what a young guy can or can't accomplish. Um, but yeah, I, I cheated a little, Ben. This, that's Uh-oh. what I did. Uh, I went with Robert Covington. The, oh,
1: Interesting. He,
0: the first selection, uh, in the D League, not even the G League, the D League draft in 2014, by the Grand Rapids Drive. Immediately, there, uh, like almost immediately, immediately thereafter, signed to a Hinky special, so he's under uh, four-year contract with the Sixers at like a really low salary. I remember being kind of mad at the time that uh, Stan like didn't do anything to try and prevent that. And yeah, Robert Covington still a very useful NBA player wouldn't uh wouldn't do too much like wouldn't dominate the ball from from jeremy grant or anything but like would fill in a lot of cracks uh across the lineup um you know any lineup you put him in and i think he would be like a really interesting addition to this pistons team um the other name i thought it was luke canard luke canard in kind of the frank jackson role where you're not asking too much of him just like can you score like 15 for us off the bench and knock down some wide open shots? It's like Luke can definitely do that. I don't know if you want to pay Luke $17 million right. a year to to do that, but he, he definitely would be an upgrade on Frank Jackson in that regard. So yeah, those that are that's a, but I like cheating a little. I like Robert. I miss Robert Covington. I wish Robert Covington was a piston.
1: Yeah. And he ended up being on one of the best contracts. Like I can remember that deal yeah. was so silly for what he was giving them.
0: Yeah, eight. there's a reason why agents were furious at Sam Hinkie. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ben. Our next question comes from Gary Clark at Gad Clark. Drink all the Kool-Aid, all the Kool-Aid, and tell me what is your most optimistic record in playoff seeding for next season?
1: <laughs> yeah, so huge qualifier on this one. I am assuming no significant trades or free agent pickups when I make this projection. So I'm assuming you're bringing back a couple of your own free agents. You're drafting Cade and guys stay relatively healthy, right? So we roll in to the season with basically the roster we're anticipating that we have. And I don't think that roster is good yet. Um, I think they're going to be super fun to watch. They're going to be very interesting, but uh, they have some pretty serious deficiencies and holes yet. So like, I mean, 35 wins feels like as high as I can go right now. Um, unless Cade is just like already an all-star player, then maybe it's a different conversation. But I think I think mid 30s would be a very good season for this team. Uh, and then realistically, if you have some, you know, some guys hit the rookie wall or the sophomore wall, or you have an injury, you know, you're looking at something more in the low 30s. So that that's kind of where I'm at right now with the huge qualifiers. We obviously don't know who Kate is as an NBA player yet, and we don't know what's going to happen with the
0: rest of the roster. So the 2018-19 Dallas Mavericks uh, are, just like looking at the roster, are not markedly amazingly better than the current Detroit Pistons roster, right? Like Harrison Barnes is probably a little bit worse than Jeremy Grant, but like, Trey Burke is probably a little bit better than Corey Joseph. And Tim Howard Hardaway Jr. is probably a little bit better than like a Wayne Ellington. And they had DeAndre Jordan and they had uh, Courtney Lee. And they had, you know, the, the games of Dirk that they got still holding on to uh, Dennis Smith Jr. in his second year. Um, I say that to say that's roughly like equivalent talent levels across the, the two squads, give or take. And they won 33 games uh, with Luka with Luka Doncic to say what like that's to say, I think that like, you know, mid thirties is probably about right for what you can expect uh, for this team next season um, at, at a maximum. Right. And I'm sure that uh, when this team is not necessarily like in the play in hunt at the end of the season, we will see some more nights like we saw at the end of this season where Like, hey, Mason Plumlee and his knee hurts, and Dennis Smith Jr.'s knee also hurts, and Jeremy Grant's tired. It's like, you'll see some of that, and then that'll that'll probably uh, ump the up the uh loss numbers a little bit. So, yeah, 34, 35 wins, I think, is probably the the best you can hope for. Um, but with obviously, you know, the Mavericks made the playoffs the next season, uh, Lucas made the playoffs every year since, um, the the numbers keep going up. Uh, and so with the, with the possibility of more uh, in the not too distant future. All right, Ben, our next question comes from Tom at Thomas, Henry, Rob one. I thought that was funny. It's just like a bunch of names. It's <laughs> <I hope, laughs> like, I don't know if this guy's middle name is Henry and Rob. He's like, maybe those are the name of his kids. I don't know. But uh, yeah, which team will be willing to take the three seconds the Pistons have and uh, trade it for a late first round pick. So the two
1: candidates that I'm eyeing down would be Houston. Obviously, lots of rumors over the last couple of weeks about trading the 1-2 with Houston. But they've also got a couple of picks later in the first. If they don't want to add guaranteed money and the Pistons have somebody they're targeting in that range of the draft, that seems like something that would make sense. Um, and then maybe a team like the Lakers that already has salary cap concerns, and they don't want to add a guaranteed contract by taking a first-round pick. I could see the Lakers as a candidate there. Um, But, yeah, I think those would be the scenarios, someone who's already got too many picks that they don't want or someone who is looking to avoid guaranteed salary.
0: Yeah, I I agree 100% with you, Ben. Uh, The Knicks have 19 and 21. Don't know if – I feel like – under Tom Thibodeau, the Knicks are going to be perpetually in win-now mode. I don't know if they want to add two rookies. That's an obvious candidate. Oklahoma City has 16 and 18. Uh, I feel like anytime you call Oklahoma City to offer them anything, they're going to ask about Cade Cunningham, and you kind of have to let them down gently. But like once you move past that, maybe you could work something out for the 18th overall pick. And uh, like you mentioned, the Rockets have the 23rd and 24th pick. Uh, same deal every time you call the Rockets they're probably trying to ask about Kate Cunningham is like come on guys like can we just talk about uh 23 and some salary <laughs> please um I also saw a report today from I think it was Jake Fisher bleacher report that Utah is interested in shopping the 30th overall pick that's obviously like the quote-unquote like least valuable uh first round pick uh, you can make an argument that uh the 31st pick is actually more valuable than the 30th pick just because it's not a guaranteed contract and you get like you know Roughly the the same quality of player, but uh, yeah, I think I think if uh, if Utah is looking to you know add something, uh, add some future picks, they should maybe you, you could turn you know a couple seconds into into thirty. Um, I will say nobody. One thing I hope like I hope the Pistons like take one guy, uh, use another of the second round picks to get some more future second round picks because they are kind of out of future second round picks after the Luke Kennard deal and then uh, they take a draft and stash guy. I think that's that's an intriguing possibility that's been raised by uh, James Edwards III. and I, I think it's one that makes sense. you know you take a guy in Europe, let him develop over there instead of uh, in America. Uh, you know what, what they did with David Servitas for a year and then bring him over in a couple of years. I think that could be that could be interesting.
1: The other thing I meant to mention, um, Corey Joseph's contract, if you're looking at a trade with a trade partner, Looking to shud salary becomes another asset in those kinds of conversations, as well, because his deal partially guaranteed next season, and I think it's like three out of 12 million is guaranteed or something yeah. along those lines.
0: Well, he's got the they they uh, they uh, they uh, they eroded that out. Oh, they know. did, yeah, you can't oh, do that anymore. Mind. I always think of that as the J.R. Smith rule because J.R. Smith was the last guy who had the contract you could do that with. So, uh, everybody putting Corey Joseph in fake trades this offseason, just know. That Corey Joseph only counts uh, is outgoing guaranteed money is the only thing that counts in trade. So you can't trade. You can't trade just Corey Joseph for a twelve million dollar player. He only counts as like two or three million going out. Sad, terrible content. I know, but uh, but I know- that's
1: still like. I mean, I think if you're talking about swapping second rounders, like maybe there's still something there. But anyway, that's true. No, you that's can true. also delete this whole section from the podcast. No,
0: no, 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 no. I mean, like, I, mean, I think. <laughs> A, that's like that's a very useful PSA about Corey Joseph. And B, like, yeah, no, for for a second round pick to turn helping like turning Corey Joseph in like 37 into 23, like that's not that's not a bad deal, right? Like you you that you can see why that makes sense for both sides. Uh and actually I skipped one. I skipped a question. My bad. So uh thank you, Branson Wagner at CutterISBack 41 for the question. I apologize for skipping you on the sheet. If Dwayne Casey suddenly stepped aside. What coach did you think would best succeed with this group of guys?
1: That's a really interesting question. I only really considered guys with previous head coaching experience. Um, sort of arbitrary on my part, but that's, that's what I thought about. Um, so I'm just picking from guys who are or have been head coaches. The two coaches in the NBA that I really think highly of right now would be Spolster and Pop. Um, you know, the Heat struggled this past season, but what, what they did in the bubble... Um, what, what is now two seasons ago, uh, I think has a lot to do with coaching. And I, I thought th- that was just a, a fantastic a fantastic thing to watch. I think Spo had a lot to do with that, too, because you look at some of the young guys that they developed internally who contributed to that, and I think you, you have to credit Spo for some of that. Uh, I also like Monty Williams a lot. Um, Phoenix is not a team I watched a lot until the playoffs – but I, I really like what he has also done with some of the young guys and role players. He seems to be getting a, a lot of consensus and buy-in, which I think is super important. Um, something Wayne Casey seems to be good at as well. So those would be the three guys I had in view for, for head, from the head coach perspective anyway.
0: No, yeah. That's interesting. I approached the, the question completely differently. Just because I'm still thinking about this team as a young team, a up-and-coming team, a developing team. And so I was thinking like a, another developmental coach. So... That got me in, like, the David Vanterpool section, right? Like, a, a longtime assistant who you finally give, like, their first head coaching job. Um, Lloyd Pierce. Uh, I I think the reason for Lloyd Pierce's firing was more about personalities than whether or not he can actually coach. And so, um, you know, I, I wouldn't mind bringing him and his basketball mind uh, onto the staff. Um, who else? If they just ran, uh, Sam Cassell is another guy. Oh, that's interesting. I think, yeah, Sam's on the, on the Clippers staff. I think, uh, at the, the job, the entire Clippers coaching staff did in the playoffs. And I think a lot of that got correctly attributed to Ty Lue. but like the, the, the coaching job that they had to do after Kawhi went down, like really impressed me. And so like, I would be plucking names off that staff and, and Sam Cassell, I think is the biggest one left. Uh, after the departure of chauncey billups so yeah those are those are three dudes that i think would be good for a good for like the up-and-coming team the detroit pistons currently are um if they were a little bit closer to playoffs like yeah i think you could talk me into like a terry stotts or something like that but yeah good question branson thanks a lot man uh next question comes from david bernier at david bernier 94 uh, how much of the clock do the Pistons? Do you think the Pistons take before making their pick? Do they take the whole five minutes and annoy us all?
1: <laughs> this is a hilarious question to me. It made me chuckle. Uh, I'm going to go with as much. Uh, well, the majority of the time, because they the NBA needs that commercial ad revenue money, so that's that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. And uh, I would be shocked if it comes out and it is announced right away for all sorts of reasons. That just doesn't feel like Weaver style to me
0: i i always wonder it's like like i understand that you you have a television product right but it does always seem it does always, always kind of strike me as interesting that the first team doesn't get like a minute to make their pick it's like you you it's like the lottery was a month ago like you <laughs> you know what's up like you you should know like what the pick is going to end up being and i understand like there's some reasons right like the the no someone could call you with a with a blow away godfather offer because like the owner finally woke, woke up and was like get the number one pick um and so like there there's reasons to to give the first team the most or the same time they give every other team but like yeah no you should you should get like 30 seconds and <laughs> we should get we should get this thing rolling um and i but i do think that taking the whole time is troy weaver style and the Pistons use up the bulk of like the five or so minutes they're allotted for their draft selection. Sorry for the te- terrible TV, David. It is what <laughs> it is, man. All right, Ben. Our next question comes from Ben at Ben uh, Ben Jubsman. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I apologize. Uh, who is your draft crush of this class? Obviously not including Cade. Everybody loves Cade.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by Mobley. Um, very interesting skill set um questions obviously about physicality how much he can take on right away but i'm interested in Moby the player i'm interested in Mobley the meta i'm really interested to see um what is the what is the modern nba big man look like i think everyone assumes it's this stretchy big you know five man who can shoot the three and defend but you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's the route it's gonna take. I think there's probably some room to exploit the meta and have someone have a big who can score in, inside effectively. And obviously, that you know what Mobley's going to become. Time is only going to tell. But uh, I'm very interested in guys like him who have potentially a very versatile offensive skill set, but also do a lot of the things you would want to see a big man do traditionally, especially defensively, which which is I think. Um, you know, something obviously Mobley's known for. So I'm, I'm interested in Mobley. I don't think the Pistons ought to take him, but I think he could have a very interesting career. And if, if he does turn into a star, um, I think he has the, the type of potential to sort of impact what, what we mean when we say modern NBA big man, a few years from now.
0: No, I a hundred percent agree. Um, Mobley was the guy that intrigued me aside from K like putting, putting Kate aside, uh, before the draft process really got started. Um, but in the interest of saying something a little bit different, and a guy I think like um, is no is known to be one of my crushes was a uh, Kai Jones out of Texas, just a six eleven rim running guy who also showed the potential to shoot threes, um, but also like has been playing basketball for like maybe like four years. They found him; he's a sprinter in in the Bahamas, but at six eleven right it's just a ridiculous athlete you see the the clip of him doing the um the kip up on the floor uh against i think it was against Kentucky it's just like a 611 dude who can move like that is just uh ridiculous and the 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 potential of a guy like Kai Jones is like what the draft is all about um i again i don't think the pistons should take him um i mean like well maybe they trade one of those second round picks uh they trade a compilation of the second round picks for a low first that could be interesting but uh but yeah kai jones very very fun to watch his highlights his highs are very very high and his lows are spectacularly <laughs> low um which is to be expected we've been playing basketball for as, as short a period as he has but yeah like just just a fun dude to watch this definitely qualifies as a as a draft crush all right ben uh ben asked another question like, what are some realistic averages for Cade next season?
1: I think it depends a lot on how long his leash is and what the aforementioned Dwayne Casey does with his minutes, especially early into the season. So I'm going to be a little bit conservative because I'm going to assume that he's going to spend at least some more time on the bench than probably a lot of us want to see. So in that sort of conservative approach, I think 13 to 15, five boards, three assists, Again, feels low, but I'm just not expecting Dwayne Casey to give him the reins full stop. Um, So I think he will spend a little bit more too much time on the bench, at least from the fan perspective. And that's why I'm tempered. But having said all that, I don't want that to happen. I'd love to just see him turn loose, assuming he's ready uh, and just play a whole lot of minutes and win rookie of the year and average, you know, 20 points a game.
0: Yeah. It's, it's relatively rare for a rookie to average 20 points a game. I mean, like, okay, Zion averaged 20 points a game as a rookie, and I think Luka averaged, like, 20 points a game as a rookie, and Anthony Edwards averaged 19 points a game. Um, but, like, before that, it was, it was pretty rare. Um, like, with that in mind, I think you you want to see – and you don't necessarily, like, want Cade sco- – well, you do want Cade scoring, like, 20 points a night, but I think a more – I think a more, like, well-rounded approach to his uh, ideal stat line it, like reflects the totality of what he could contribute. And so I was thinking, like, 17 points a night. Not, like, 20, but, like, 17. Five rebounds, six assists, um, for reference. Killian averaged five assists. So I think I think there's room for, for uh, the primary playmaker on the Detroit Pistons, even if the team is bad, to average, you know, five, six assists a night. Um, I also think he probably averages like two and a half, two point eight 2.8 turnovers a night, um, like inching towards three uh, rookies are notoriously turnover prone, you know, need time to adjust to the speed of the game. Cade is a particularly turnover prone uh, number one overall pick. Part of that was the situation at Oklahoma state. Part of that was his own foibles, right? Like there, there were definitely times where he just like literally dribbled the ball off of his foot. Um, and so I think you'd, definitely see some of that uh as he adjusts to nba life um but yeah like 17 5 and 6 would be really good numbers those are rookie of the year level of the year
1: just give it to him if he averages (laughs) that that would be outstanding
0: yeah and you know um i don't know if any other rookie would get to both like you know the 17 18 point threshold and the like uh 6 5 assist threshold and like that is part of the reason of like why cade's going to be the number one pick uh this year Arben, our last question comes from Jake Bisher at Jake underscore Bisher. Is it a make or break season for Seku? If he has a somewhat full season in the G League, what kind of improvements in production would you like to see?
1: So thanks for this question. And thanks to everyone who asked questions. This was fun. Um, for his career, like from the perspective, of, is his career over? Is it a make or break season in that regard? No, I don't think so. He's still so ridiculously young. You know, even as a, a second-year player, he was still one of the youngest players in the entire NBA. So Seku's story is long from being finished, regardless of what happens this year. Uh, for his tenure with the Pistons, though, I tend to lean toward, yes, and I, I mean, I'm not saying I feel strongly about this, maybe like 55-45, 60-40, somewhere in there. Um, you know, he's obviously holdover from, the previous regime and weaver has pretty much completely undone that as we all know. Um, and look, his development in his sophomore season was stagnant, right? I mean, he just didn't take a significant leap in any one single area that I think amounted to a whole lot. He was very up and down, just like he was as a rookie. And then I, I think interestingly as well, um, you know, he takes a roster spot and guaranteed money, Um, and Weaver may want that for other projects. We saw how busy he was an off season ago, even having to use the amnesty clause right on, on Dwayne Dedman. So I I think he's a guy who's going to want to have some flexibility over the next two seasons to build and shuffle and move. And, uh, yeah. So for all those reasons, yeah, I think Saker needs to, he needs to show something to stay a piston, but, uh, yeah, his story's not over yet. He's I think he's, is he even 20 yet? If he is, he just turned 20. So,
0: yeah, I think he's, I think he's just 20. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: he'll, he'll, he'll have, he'll have more time somewhere to continue developing. Probably not here.
0: Yeah. I don't think it is a make or break season for Seku in the NBA. And I don't even think it's with the Pistons either because of the way we hear like Dwayne Casey talk about him, right? even when he was playing more minutes at the end of the season, Dwayne Casey was still talking about like how next year he was going to, excuse me, he was going to spend a lot of time with the crews. Right. I think they, they really view Sekou as a long-term project. I think, um, I think Troy Weaver is still intrigued by the athletic package that, that Sekou has. Um, the second question is the more interesting one for me. if, if Seku has a somewhat full season in the G League, like what do we need to see out of him? Uh, which is a really interesting question because he he tore up the G League statistically um, the last time he was down there uh, with any consistency, and so it's easy to say like I want Seku to average like 25 a night and like eight rebounds in the G League, and he could maybe he could do that because the G League is. Uh, a basketball laboratory designed to produce like high scoring, high paced outcomes, right? With that said, I think what you would really like to see from Seku would be uh, an elite potential at any like lone thing, right? You'd love to see him uh, hone his shot to the point where he's a knockdown, like 40% three point shooter. You would love to see him lock in on defense to the point where he would be a terror like on and off the ball. Um, you would like him to to do any one thing at a elite level for the G league so you knew what his best like role would be at the NBA that's not um, you know in transition or off of off of basket cuts, which are like the, the two things he does really well right now um. I'm I'm also not ready to give up on Seku. I've remained like really intrigued with what Seku um, has to offer. Been watching slowly, but been watching some of the games at the end of the season um, that he played in, and he played like really well against. Uh, he played really well against the Hornets. He played like pretty well against the Timberwolves, right? Yeah, so he had some good games uh, in there, and you you still see the outlines of what he could become, but. Uh, but, yeah, he still needs to be – I still need to know what uh, what, what Seku's like, doing when he touches the ball. I, I need to have a better idea of, like, what's coming when, when he touches the ball for me to uh, feel comfortable about, like, what uh, what kind of uh, – whether or not this is, like, a make-or-break season for him.
1: Yeah, and I didn't even answer that part of the question. I apologize. I agree with everything Lad said. The, the other thing I would be looking for, and this is something you have to watch the games pretty closely to be able to determine, but one of the things Saker does well, is last hinted, and move without the ball and make basket cuts, but he sometimes makes them at really inopportune times and then gets in the way and stays in the way, and he does this a lot in transition when he he rim runs and then just seals four feet from the basket and completely eliminates any opportunity for anyone else to occupy pie the paint and that's a long way of saying I would like Sekou to demonstrate more understanding of when and where to be like where to position himself so that he's able to cash in on the things that he's good at which is moving without the ball and finishing so you know give it some trendy cliche word right like basketball IQ whatever you want to call it like a more in-depth demonstrating understanding of, of how to position yourself on the court, depending on what your role is so that you're making a, a positive contribution that way.
0: All right. Thanks for the questions, everybody. We really appreciated it. Uh, we will definitely do something in the not too distant future around Caden, whatever else happens on uh draft night for the Pistons. Cause we, we all know something's going to happen. We just don't know what uh, Ben let the people know where they can find you, where they can find what you've been up to this summer.
1: Yeah, it's been a great summer. I'm going to be watching some Olympics. I love the Olympics. I suddenly care about things like archery and water polo.
0: I was going to ask, like, what's, what's your what's your weird sport that you now care about?
1: Oh, man. It changes year to year. Uh, the last several years, it's been swimming, watching Michael Phelps dominate. And then some of the really cool stories that came out of the women's team and swimming has been a whole lot of fun for me. Um, I would like to say I'm interested in three X three basketball, but I watched some of it and I don't know. I don't know. It just, it didn't do it for me. Um, but I think, uh, water polo is all, but also super fun to me. And the reason is I think I'm interested to, in it because I could never do it. I'm a terrible swimmer, but then also <laughs> like when they do the underwater cams, right. And you see what's going on under the water. It's like, it's like being on the bottom of an NFL huddle, like the game, I, it's just so hard for me to wrap my head around it. It is grueling physically. And those dudes, well, and women play it too. They're just so strong. They're incredible athletes. Uh, yeah. So, so waterfall. And then shout out to handball. Um, I also love handball, but that doesn't make it onto the broadcast too often, unfortunately.
0: Handball is ridiculously fun. To oh, watch. my gosh. I know it. From an entertainment perspective, just, yeah. just amazing. Yep. Um, yeah. I, 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 I enjoy the 3X3. It feels a little schoolyard, and I think that's intentional. It's like that is a weird feeling, right? Like we're watching the Olympics. It's supposed to be like the the highest level of athlete in competition with one another uh, over like all the countries in the world. And it still kind of feels like six dudes playing in the backyard a little bit. It's like that that part's weird. Six ladies as well. I watched a big Kelsey Plum fan. Watched a lot of the uh, U.S. women's three on three, and it's like that's. It also has like a similar like we've the, the part where you can just like take the ball out of the basket, like immediately uh, pass it back behind the line, and like go into offense. It's like that. It's like that does not. It's like that. That's very schoolyard. And it's right? jarring.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because it kind of it reminds me of volleyball and beach volleyball, right? Like it's a totally, it's a totally different sport while being the same sport, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. that's how it felt to me.
0: Yeah. The other thing I I randomly got into was fencing. I was looking for, I was flipping through through the channels, looking for the uh, men's basketball this morning. Found some fencing. Watched like seven minutes of fencing. It was really interesting. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, and the technology they use is pretty incredible as well. (laughs) It's not your granddad's fencing. It's like boxing with swords.
0: All right, uh, and of course, uh, to hear me you know, say such things like It's Boxing with Swords about fencing, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Uh, I can't wait to show you guys what we've got left for the exit interviews. Can't wait for draft night. Uh, excited to see what the next season of Pistons basketball holds. So thank you for listening, and we will talk to you all next week. See you.